continue with, with this theme in week three of There's Only One. And uh, today, I, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, and I hope he's a friend of yours as well. Uh, in week one, we talked about the fact there's only one God. <clears throat> and uh, last week, uh, Christian uh, shared his heart and unpacked his heart uh, in a vulnerable way to remind us that there's only one Jesus. And he's always ready to step into our lives and make a difference. And uh, there are many of us around this room this morning that really mean that song. We've decided to follow, and there's no turning back, whatever that means. And this morning, I want to invite you to the friend, and he's called the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. If you've got a Bible this morning, I'm going to read just a few verses from Ephesians chapter 4. A wonderful book, and in chapter 4, it is the turning point of the book, because the first three chapters remind us of what God has done in us, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 remind us of what he wants to do through us. And um, here it says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And we've got a verse there or a little phrase in verse 4 that says there's one spirit. This church in orthodox evangelical tradition, believes in one God existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I say that because we've had people come to the church that don't believe that, but we do. And so we believe that there's one God. We believe that there's only one Jesus. There's no other name like Jesus. There's coming a day when everyone will acknowledge that he is Lord. And this morning, I want to talk for a few moments about the Holy Spirit, who's very often misunderstood. And that uh, And uh, he has many titles and many uh, um, descriptions in the Bible. But it it, it perturbs me at times that people don't really, uh, on occasions, home in on the reality and truth of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we're going to spend two weeks on this. This week, me, I think possibly uh, an instructional and hopefully inspirational few minutes, just laying some ground again afresh regarding what, the New Testament particularly says about the Holy Spirit. Next week, the jam in the sandwiches, Jay and the Teen Challenge boys come. And then the following week, Christian picking up on this again with an impartational message that will really just encourage every one of us afresh to press into all that the Holy Spirit wants to be to us. It may be that you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. God says that he wants you to be. And for me, there's four expressions of living in the power of the Spirit in the New Testament. One that we're Spirit baptized. We come to a place of knowing that the Spirit of God has come upon us and endured us for power. Then we're Spirit-filled, being filled with the Spirit. And the reason for that is is because we leak. We go to work. We're engaging in certain contexts. We face challenges. There are things that deplete us, and we need to keep being filled with the Spirit of God. You know, some people uh, live their Christian life like trying to drive a car when the red light's been on, and it says there's no fuel in the tank. Guess what? You grind to a halt. And I've been in that unhappy circumstance on a couple of occasions. It's incredibly frustrating. But you're going nowhere. You need to keep being filled. And then the Bible tells us that we need to be led by the Spirit. Again, often misunderstood. Because sometimes people have come to me and come to any pastor and said they've been led and we know they haven't. And, uh, but the reality is we don't want to push back because the Bible says, and I'll come to it later, that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And finally, Spirit gifted. 
tongues and interpretation and prophecy and words of knowledge and words of revelation and praying for people for gifts of healing. And so we go on. Not just in the church, but from the church. Not just ministering to believers, but having words for people that don't even know God. And opening up their heart to believe that God loves them and knows them. This is the Holy Spirit at work. Of course, it's a huge subject. And we've only got two hours this morning, so we're really going to be struggling to fit it all in. No, don't worry. If you're here for the first time, really don't worry, okay? Uh, That is a joke. But we've got a few minutes. And so I'm going to sort of just bullet point some things. I'd encourage you, perhaps, I say this with absolute humility, if it helps you to listen to the podcast again, or to take notes, or ever you imbibe the word, just to get a hold of this. Just, by the way, the power of encouragement. So I was in the office just this week, Thursday morning, and just going through the emails, all of a sudden got this email through from a guy in Red Roof in Cornwall. And last uh, July, it was July because we're driving up the M5 listening to Andy Murray win. Uh, couldn't even watch it for the, you know, all of them times. First time I won for 70 odd years. And we're, we're sort of near Birmingham and the fist sort of goes up and he'd won. But we're at Andy's brother's church in Exeter, great church, Riverside Church down in Exeter. And uh, Aaron says, will you come and preach on the gift of the pastor? He said, I'm getting five people in, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor. So I did. Uh, interestingly, the prophet didn't have any prophetic words, and the pastor did. How about that? But, but, the, <laughs> but, but the reality was that just this week, this guy says, I'm a pastor in Red Roof. I've just listened to your podcast for when you were speaking on the gift of pastor in Exeter last year. I'm pastoring a church. I'm young in ministry. It's really encouraged me. Isn't that fantastic? It encouraged him, but it encouraged me. And the thing is, you never know where podcasts are going to land. You really don't. It's an amazing sort of invention. You know, and uh, if you're still on cassette tapes, you need to move on. All right. (laughs) Even I've moved on from cassette tapes. (laughs) Only (laughs) Did you hear that? Only just. (laughs) Ah. So, sadly, the Holy Spirit sometimes is viewed suspiciously. As though, as though we need to keep him at arm's length. And uh, sadly, and I'll come back to this a little later, sadly, in the era of the Christian church, now over 2,000 years old, there's been times when almost the Christian church has sought to extinguish the power and influence of the Spirit. There's always been a remnant, friends, that have ran to the power of the Spirit. And the impact of that today is huge. So why is this? Well, number one, falsehood. Every one of the religious cults, everyone, not only always gets it wrong about who Jesus is, but they always get it wrong about who the Holy Spirit is. So he's described as a force, an energy, an influence. He's none of those things. He's a person. Not defined by a body, but he is the third person of the Trinity. And we need to push back, friends, on anything that would come a falsehood. You see, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Don't have time to develop that this morning, but if you read in the context of Ephesians 4, it seems to me at times it can be grieved when we get relationships wrong. And then the Bible tells us in Isaiah that he can be vexed. And the Bible tells us also that we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can dampen it. We can dampen it down. So we need to understand that we don't want to rule, want to falsehood. Then I want you to listen carefully because sometimes people push back on the Holy Spirit out of fear. But I want to read these verses in 
Romans chapter 8, and I want you to listen really carefully. These are precious verses to me, and I want you to be precious verses to you. Because in verse 14, he says that those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit who, who we receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brings about a spirit of adoption or sonship. And by Him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I want to say, friends, that that ought to push back on any fear that we have about the Holy Spirit. He witnesses with our spirits that we're the children of God. And there's an Aramaic word there, and it's particularly used to bring about the intimacy of our relationship with Father. Some of you know that it's literally saying, Dada. That's where it comes to. Not something that's fearful. You might say, well, you know, some of my experiences of the Holy Spirit have been weird. No, friends, the Holy Spirit's not weird. Some of his people are, but he isn't. And I understand sometimes that the Holy Spirit works in unusual ways on occasions. So there are times when people fall down under the power of the Spirit. There are times when people reverentially lay prostrate before the Spirit. There are some times, friends, when the power of God comes to people, particularly when they're wrestling with some things in the heart that may cause them to shake. But let's not make a doctrine out of any of those things. Where we get somebody through our church, and if everybody doesn't fall down, they've not received God. God help us. Because people receive in different ways. But the reality is, friends, the Holy Spirit is not weird. And if that's where you live, you need to get free. And you need to realize that he witnesses with you that that he's the child of God. You don't need to fear him in any way. And then what about forgetfulness? In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul speaks to a church that was in danger of starting good and finishing bad. Of starting in grace and then running to law. Of starting in his works and then trying to do it through their works. And he writes to them. And he said this. He said, beginning with the spirit, but now trying to finish in the flesh. You're setting yourself up for failure if you begin in the Spirit and then try and live this life in the flesh. It doesn't work. That's why you need to keep being filled. And the Bible goes on to say in Galatians that we need to keep in step with the Spirit. And the closer you build your relationship with the Spirit, the more quickly He's going to come to tell you that you are out of step. Whoa. So let's briefly look at... Three reasons why we can trust the Holy Spirit. Implicitly trust him. And implicitly commit our lives, not only to the one God, and to the one Jesus, but to the friend, the one Holy Spirit. I'm going to hit the first one really quickly, but because of his character. And his character, and again, we're just looking at a few of the things, is exactly the same in terms of his attributes to the Father and the Son. So the Holy Spirit is eternal. And in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, it describes him as the eternal spirit. He didn't come into being in Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden, whoosh, the Holy Spirit turned. He's there in the beginning. Because he's not only eternal, he's creator. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, the second verse of the Bible, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And one of the things the Holy Spirit loves to do, friends, is to hover over things and come to minister in power. And then just as God is omnipresent, so is the Holy Spirit. 
So the psalmist says in Psalm 139, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I run from your presence? You know, there are people, friends, that have sometimes got into a backslidden state in their heart that have tried to run away from God. So a pastor friend of mine once told me the story of somebody in his church that got into a place where he'd he'd gone cold with God. He said, I'm going to Australia. I'm I'm fed up of life. I'm I'm, I'm fed up of God. I'm fed up of... I'm going to live in Australia. And he did. He arrived in Australia and he got a job. And do you know what? The first job he got, his boss was a Christian. It's an uncomfortable place to try and run away from the law, friends. And some of you have tried it here this morning and found it to be so. Because where can we flee from his presence? Some of you have sat in a pub far from God's and the Spirit of God's come. Said something like, what on earth are you doing here? And showed you the absolute shallowness of your journey at that moment. And just as God's omniscient, he knows all things, so the Holy Spirit does. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. And just as God is all-powerful, omnipotent, so the Holy Spirit is described as the Almighty in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. In other words, friends, whatever you apply to the Father and apply to the Son, you can apply to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we can trust implicitly the Holy Spirit because of his commitment. And in, in, uh, in uh, John's Gospel, <clears throat> chapters 14 to 16, that clearly we don't have time to read this morning, we get John's expression of the work of the Holy Spirit. Fascinating chapters uh, of, of uh, John declaring the words of Jesus. Those of you who have got a Bible uh, where the words of Jesus are in red will find that most of John 14, 15 and 16 is in red because Jesus is laying some teaching. He's strengthening the disciples for a new day. The new day was, I'm going back to the Father, you're on earth to reach the world, and frankly, they were terrified by the thoughts, initially. They were terrified by the They built such a close relationship with their Savior. They, they allowed him to, 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 to bring help to them. They'd received his rebuke when they got it wrong. They'd been lifted up when they were down. They'd been saved when they thought they were lost. Now their Savior was going, what on earth were they going to do? Well, what they were going to do on the earth is to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. They didn't quite know it. And you could be here this morning saying, what on earth am I doing in life? And I tell you, I, I, I just, it, just on the news again this morning, I get so stirred in my heart regarding the 16 to 24 age group in our nation, friends. One million, one million of them that aren't in work, training, or, te- or, or uh, education. And it talked again this morning about companies arising to save this lost generation. And if you're there this morning saying, what on earth is life about? You're not lost. God's got a destiny over your life. He's got a purpose, and we speak it over you again. But you need to connect with the one that's given you life and then live in the fullness of what he's got. So let me just remind you of some of the things that John, through the words of, recorded through the words of Jesus, when he speaks to these disciples, often frail men, but he says, guys, don't worry. And he's exactly the same to us today. Why can we trust him? Because of his commitment to us. And the first thing is, he says, I will give you another. Verse 16 of chapter 14. 
And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor or comforter. Some of you may even have an advocate there. Different descriptions of the Holy Spirit to help you and he will be with you. And the word there in the original language is parakletos. It means one who comes alongside. Jesus says, although I am going away physically, I'm going back to the Father. My mission on earth will be achieved through the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. And although you won't see me physically, there will be one who comes alongside the comforter. Now, listen to this about the comforter. Because some people think that's all the Holy Spirit's here for. To comfort me. Oh, to make me feel better. Well, I find he's incredibly uncomfortable at times. I don't know about you. When I'm tempted to stray, friends, he's uncomfortable. When when I'm tempted to give in to temptation, he's uncomfortable. And I'm glad he is. I'm glad he is. Because he says, Phil, I want you to keep in step with me. In step with me. So I will give you one. Secondly, he says, I will be with you forever. Verse 16 again. This is no momentary quick fix, but an ongoing, enduring commitment Melody Green, the widow of Keith Green, wrote that great song some years ago. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit in the earth till the work is done. Well, the work's not done. The work's not done. So the Spirit of God is still committed in the earth today to 21st century Christians to be with us. And then verse 17 says that this spirit is the spirit of truth. And I want to say without any sense of equivocation this morning, friends, that if there are lies, if there are deceptions, if there are errors, it is not of the spirit. It is not of the spirit. Because the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. He will never go outside the Bible. He will never be contradictory to the Bible. He will never undermine the Bible. His job is to confirm the word of God to our lives because it's truth. And then verse 17 says the Holy Spirit will be in you. And the Bible reminds us that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can have the theology of that, friends. I'm not quite sure how it all works, but I know that the Spirit of God's has come to dwell in me. He's become my friends. He's become one I can talk to. I can talk to in English and I can talk to in other languages and he gets it every time. You know the Holy Spirit's not an Englishman, don't you? He gets it. And we can communicate with him. We can hear his whisper. Sometimes it's noisy, sometimes it's incredibly quiet. Sometimes we want to respond with gusto, sometimes we just want to sit in his presence. He's in us. R.T. Kendall, who served in London for many years as a great pastor, says, this promise would result in that Jesus would be as real by his spirit within his disciples as Jesus had been real to the disciples outside of them. See, I'm going back to the Father, but it's as if I was here because the Holy Spirit's going to make Jesus real to you. That's his work. And then fifthly, He says that the Spirit of God would testify about me. John chapter 15 and verse 26. And how does he do that? He does that through the church. He's always exalting Jesus. If you're here this morning thinking, well, I don't really get it. I mean, it seems though people are pretty pumped, but I don't get it. But somehow you feel a drawing to know more. That's the work of the Spirit. Not drawing me to 
to me, not drawing you to Christian, not drawing you even in the sense as an organization to arena church. His, draw, his job is to draw you to Jesus and everything else will find its place. In Acts 15 and verse 26, it says, When the Comforter comes, whom I will send to you from my Father, John's Gospel again, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. We used to sing a great old hymn many years ago, The Comforter Has Come. I feel like singing the chorus, and Colin will join me, but we won't, okay. But he's come, friends. He's come. In Acts 2.33, it says that the sign that Jesus had triumphantly conquered the cross, rose from the dead the third day and ascended to the Father, and that he was now exalted at the Father's right hand, is that this Holy Spirit was being poured out into the earth. And still it's happening all these years later. And finally, friends, we can implicitly trust the Spirit, the one Holy Spirit, not only because of his character, not only because of his commitment, but because of his continuity. Was it Ron Seal some years ago that said it, says, it does what it says on the, on the tin? I don't know whether you find whether it did or not, but it was a good strap line. <clears throat> it does what it says on the tin. And I want to encourage you, both in your private readings, and you do nothing worse this week than to read John 14, 15, and 16, and just let it wash over you, and maybe 17 as well. But just let it wash over you when you get time to do it. Or start to read the Acts of the Apostles, 28 chapters. Just read a chapter a day. Just let it wash over you, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to understand, friends, that God is still at work today. And if I can say it with absolute reverence, he does what is said on the tin called the Word. He never contradicts himself. And so what's the Holy Spirit continually doing? Well, he's continually witnessing to Jesus, as I've already said. He will glorify me. And what you receive from me, you must make known to others. Here's how it happens. For some of you, it's been gradual. Some people get a bit worked up at times that they can't remember the exact date when they became a believer. But if you've come on a gradual journey to faith and come to a place of absolute conviction in your heart that you needed a savior and that Jesus Christ has become your Lord and you've committed yourself to him, then that's great. For other people, it's a Damascus Road experience. And you'll hear a few of those next week. My, where God just steps into absolute brokenness. And sometimes they may be able to say it was March the 9th, 2007. Boom, God came and completely turned me around. I want to say, friends, that there's all sorts of ways to God as long, and I've qualified that, not all sorts of ways to him outside of Jesus, but all sorts of experiences that God uses to bring us to a knowing of Jesus as our Savior, who is the only way to God. And the Spirit of God's continually at work to bring you to that place. He not only witnesses to Jesus, but he works in the world. And if, if you read in John 16, you'll find that the Spirit of God is continually doing three things. It says he comes to the earth to convict. Another word for that would be to convince And I always smile because I absolutely believe uh, and concur with everything that's been said this morning when we say that we hope that you have a great experience in Arena Church. We hope that you really enjoy it. But if I could just give a caveat, hopefully not too much, in the sense that we also want you to sense a conviction. 
of your needs of God's. And the Spirit of God, friends, is at work to convince us, three things, to convince us of sin, and particularly the sin of unbelief. Someone says that unbelief, when it continues, all of the sins remain. But unbelief, when it departs, all of the sins remove. It convicts us of righteousness. The prophet says in the Old Testament that our self-righteousness is like filthy rags. But in Jesus Christ, we can have a right standing. And it convicts us of judgment to come. Judgment? Yeah, God's a just God. And that judgment, friends, is for the prince of darkness, the prince of the power of the air. It's not meant to be reserved for you. He stands condemned, but you don't have to be. And we want to come to a place, friends, when we know that we've received him and judgment has been removed. You see, brothers and sisters, as we plan, as we prepare for Arena Church week by week, we'll do all the praying we can do. We'll do all the preparing we can do. We'll do all the proclaiming we can do. But when we've done all we can, all we can do is ask the Holy Spirit to do what only he can. And we can't get anybody saved. And we can't convince anybody by rhetoric, by well-crafted ministry, by communicating well. And we want to do. We want to communicate well and prepare well. But in itself, it's a means to an end to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on his living word and draw you to himself. See, I gave my life to Jesus as an 11-year-old kid, and I did it in response to being convicted. So, well, what have you done wrong? Well, not a lot, I don't think, but I'd certainly done some things wrong. But I'd never robbed banks. I'd never done drugs. I'd never sort of gone out of my way to be uh, outlandishly disrespectful in the home. But you know what? I got convicted. I've got a Sunday school background, but all of a sudden I realized... It wasn't about examples of others. It wasn't about my grandma. It was about me. And I committed my life to Jesus. And many times since I said, I've decided to follow you. There's no turning back. And I've had to say that as a statement of faith, as you have. And I want to say today that don't, don't think that conviction means that God doesn't like you. He's wooing you to himself. If you've lost the plot and you're away from the Lord this morning and you feel shamed about it all, he loves you. And he's wooing you back to himself and saying, come and follow me afresh. And finally, friends, he continues to work in the world by not only, uh, not only witnessing to what God is doing but, and, and, and not, not only working in the world and not only witnessing to Jesus, but he, he comes by welling up in the believer Lancelot Andrews, a great 17th century bishop and preacher, says this, I see the fulfillment of Christmas as God with us. I see the fulfillment of Pentecost, the celebration of the Holy Spirit as God in us. God in us. It's incredible, friends. And the Bible says in John 7, 37, Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And he goes on to qualify who he's speaking about. This spoke he of the Holy Spirit. Saying, Phil, you seem to be sort of talking about a Holy Spirit that I've not engaged with. Well, the Bible simply says, if you'll be thirsty, you'll express faith. If you'll come believing to him, and if you'll drink, then out of you will flow rivers of living water. The power of the Holy Spirit. As I said at the beginning, as I close, sadly, 
Over the era of the, uh, era of the Christian church of 2,000 years, there have been long periods, dark periods, where the Holy Spirit's been marginalized or formalized in religious tradition. He was desperate to break in. And man-made structures wouldn't let him. But there's always been a people, friends, that have carried the thread. Sometimes at a huge cost. There are always people that have ran to the living reality of the Holy Spirit. Just over a hundred years ago, something began to happen in the earth. Because God's always been giving back to the church those things that have been lost. And in essence, the baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, was a was a, an expression of restoration back to the church. And around about the 1900s, there was a man in America called Charles Parham that began to seek after the Spirit of God. He actually began to pastor the first ever Assembly of God Church in uh, Topeka in Kansas. And they began to connect with people. And some of you know about the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in 19567, where people from around the world were touched afresh anew by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this spread to Scandinavia. And it came to the UK. And one of the initiators of it in the UK originally was an Anglican vicar called Alexander Body up there in Sunderland. And there's still a stone there today that says this is where the fire fell. And many people travelled. We, we think going to conferences is a new thing. But even though transport was less convenient in those days, people travelled. People got filled with the Holy Ghost. People began to minister for the Lord. And in 1924, 90 years ago, this year, in Aston, Birmingham, in our central area, Assemblies of God GB, the Pentecostal group that we connect with and network with, began. It came as a, a, a sort of a, a group of churches from, from predominantly the industrial context of the nation, South Wales, East and West Midlands, Lancashire, Yorkshire, Durham. People that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Often the church is pastored by... Uh, lay pastors, bivocational we'd call them today, working in the steelworks and the mines, and then faithfully opening the word of God. And they came into a new experience. I want to encourage your friends that nowadays we can have Pentecostal, spirit-filled leaders leading church councils in towns and being well-respected, but not then. Many of them were vilified for their stance. Some of them were ousted from the church that says, oh no, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to find your own thing. We don't want you. People crossed the road rather than talk to people that had started to, in quotes, speak in tongues. You see, whatever liberties we enjoy, it's always on the foundation of a cost. Always. And we should never, ever forget that. And God began to continually pour out of his spirit. And Pentecostal, what we'd call classical Pentecostal movements would emerge in the earth. And then we got to the 60s and 70s and God began to do something else. The 1960s and 70s. Because then we had what we call the upsurge of the charismatic renewal. And out of that, the new church movement. And I pay honor again to Pastor Colin this morning. It's only been fantastic over the last two years to have Colin and Hazel with us in the house. And uh, they, they're now, they won't mind me saying aged in years, and that brings some frailties. But here's a couple that have given their lives to ministry, sown themselves into the advancement of the kingdom of God. And Colin's been a preacher, a leader, a pastor, an author, a writer. And one of the things that Colin did in that season was to connect with people outside of his own group. So Colin Urquhart, Trevor Deering, Michael Harper, Gene Darnell, no doubt criticized at times, Colin, and misunderstood. But we honor you today for what you did as a classical Pentecostal. 
in reaching out to people and helping them on their journey. And out of that, churches, Anglican churches, Methodist churches, Baptist churches, came into the fullness of the Spirit. And so churches have proliferated today and found their own expression. Great churches around the earth like Hillsong that have come out of a spirit experience and now impacting in their own right. And God's done amazing, amazing things. You see, in a hundred years, friends, the church commentators recognize, not just in classical Pentecostalism, but across the earth, people that would have had a spirit-filled experience now number over 550 million people. And only the one Holy Spirit could have done that. Only him. No man could have done it. Only the Lord's. And if you're a person this morning that has enjoyed the blessing of the Holy Spirit, keep be being filled. If this morning you've come to church and you've been one of those people that somehow have been a bit frightened of him, for whatever reason, maybe a bad experience, maybe weirdness, maybe carnality, maybe some inappropriate teaching, I want, to shake, I want you to shake it off this morning. And I want you to confess again that you're going to let the Holy Spirit be your friend. I tell you, friends, he'll challenge you, he'll stir you, he'll convict you, but he'll never hurt you. All he's passionate about is you coming to the fullness of your destiny in what God designed for you and what Jesus paid the price for you on the cross. There's only one God. There's only one Jesus. And there's only one Holy Spirit. And this morning we can run to him afresh. We can implicitly trust him because of his character, which is God. Because of his commitment, which is unerring. And because this morning, friends, he comes to minister to us and to bless us with the continuity of his ministry. Let's pray.